I'm Charles Coplin, and you are listening to Songscapes from Sustain, Music, and Nature. These are the sounds of my guest, Jay Clark's new EP, Masquerade. Music that he recorded a few years ago, but wasn't planning to release, but then he found a reason. I'd kind of been stuck on how I wanted that music to go out and where what my role was as a musician and you know how I felt about it and um it was kind of I just wanted to let go of it of feeling any possession over that music um you know on top of I've definitely been educating myself a lot and it's definitely been on the news a lot the past few years uh raising awareness um so just like my little way of trying to give back, you know, and to use my art to give to other people rather than, you know, me, me, me all the time. And as an artist, and we'll talk about your creative process, do you feel an, an internal struggle between a commercially focused artist and an artist who is here to make the world a better place? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the whole the whole industry side of it and being a businessman is not something that comes natural to me and definitely zaps a lot of my spirit out, uh, which to me is really where all the writing comes from and the actual music creation and, and performing. So that was always a really hard balance over the years. Um, you know, and honestly, for me, COVID kind of hit for me, it was a silver lining at a good time because it it allowed me to just have to put all that stuff to the side and I didn't have to worry about booking the next tour or, or show or, you know, really promoting heavily, which I was never really good at, you know. And I've always been an independent artist through and through. Really, you know, I wear a lot of hats and always have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and that was also part of with that EP was this way of being like, well, you know what? I'm not in this to make money. You know, I'm in this to share ideas and feelings. And like, if I can connect with someone through that and move them or have them feel connected, you know, that's the goal that I've really come around to after these years of back and forth with, you know, I want to be a commercial success and on billboards and traveling around in my mega van, but, you know, kind of accepting that, no, I'm, I'm just going to be this like small time actor and like doing it for the love of doing it and to connect with people, you know? And, and I'm curious how you choose the different philanthropic areas that you focus on. Yeah. Uh, well, like you mentioned, the, the building, the farm housing, in Georgia that uh you know it's just what I hear so that was a friend of mine uh he's a timber framer and this was a farm that 10 years ago he uh lived on for about six months and it was really um a pretty formative time for him and they they really gave him a lot I know it was a hard time for him so this was sort of this 10 years later all of a sudden he's a successful in his career much better at building 
and they've been really in, in dire need of housing. Um, so I kind of jumped on to him. Uh, you know, he needed some help. So I, you know, I said, you know, I can help promote this and, and I'm going down with him. We're actually leaving right after this interview. We're jumping in the car. The trailer's all packed and we'll be there for a week and a half uh, building this bunkhouse for the volunteer farmers. Uh, you know, so that's one area, but mainly it's, yeah, I mean, it's just like, there's, so, how do you choose what to do? I mean, for me, it's not, I didn't have some direct path of like, uh, you know, having a drug addiction or having someone in my family with that. So I then thinking like, okay, I've experienced this. I know how hard this can be. This is my path. So for me, it's, it's more. Yeah, if someone else needs help, then I'll, I'm happy to jump in, you know, with the farmhouse or as I educate myself or hear more about what's going on politically or the inequalities, uh, you know, like with the LGBTQ plus and, you know, trans communities, it's. I know that that's a completely underfunded and underrecognized uh people you know our neighbors our community and so in any little way that i could support them that felt uh you know i was moved to do that so you record this beautiful ep masquerade and you you sat on it for a couple of years you weren't going to release it mm -hmm. and can you tell the story about sending the music to your friend and and how you got to the point where you were okay releasing it under yeah. the pretense that you did decide to do right yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd recorded it about two years ago. Um, yeah. And it was one of those things you, you know, you just get to in your head, especially when you're recording a record, it can be so hard to uh, distance yourself from it. Right. And, and the perfectionist streak in me felt like I wasn't ready. Like we didn't hit the mark on it. So I kind of sat on it for yeah, a year and a half. Um, and then my friend in St. Louis got into a really bad motorcycle accident um, this past summer. Uh, so as soon as I heard that, you know, I reached out to him to see how he was doing. And if there was anything I could do from afar, send him to, you know, help him recover. His mouth is wired shut. He couldn't talk to anyone, you know, could only use one of his arms. Um, you know, and so he said, you know, can you send me some music? You know, that would be a great way to pass the time. And so I sent him a bunch of demos I'd built up. Um, a new EP that's going to be coming out later this year. And then the Masquerade EP. Um, you know, and I explained to him what I just said to you, like, that I'd kind of planned that I wasn't going to release it. Uh, and the first thing he texted back, you know, a few days later was, I'm sure you have your reasons, but you know, it's a, you know, beautiful EP and worth sharing. And so then that just really, that was just a great kind of slap in the face of like, oh, right. If someone can get something out of this, you know, and it's all done, it's ready to go. All we need to do is, you know, release it. So why not share it? You know, whoever doesn't connect with it won't connect with it. But as long as it touches one person, two people you know, that's what matters. So while you're having 
this sort of dialogue in your head about how to release your your material, your art, you're a, a pretty busy artist. I mean, in addition to music, you're I looked at your stuff. You're a great painter. You draw, you do ceramic art, you do printing press. So can you describe how you get inspired to create in these different mediums? Yeah. Uh, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I always loved doodling and, you know, drawing pictures and, and making stories. Uh, I mean, I just loved living in my imagination, you know. I'd wander around in the woods or play in the yard all day. And it's like, I don't think that really is much different than being an adult now and trying to tap into that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for a long time, I've had a regular practice of just keeping a, a, a journal. And that's where a lot of like the song fragments get written. But then the next page is like a collage then the next page is a drawing with some song fragments or notes or, or quotes. Um, so that was, has always sort of been a practice of uh, this very funny, you know, 2D exploration into sort of like psychic or emotional check-ins with yourself. You know, what had you been thinking about that day? Or um, yeah, and then the letterpress work, you know, so all that's more for like drawings and paintings. And the ceramic work has always been a really personal thing. I'd grown up doing that as a kid. I did it for probably 15 years. I would uh, two days a week go and work with this woman a couple towns over at her home studio. Um, I really haven't touched ceramics in a while, but. Uh, so recently, really what I've been putting my energy in during COVID is um, the letterpress work. And and I've been doing a lot of book design. Uh, you know, and for all of these things, like with music too, I've just really found it's just about consistency. And something about me loves monotony. <laughs> I love just doing the same little task over and over without language usually, you know, like for all the visual art is that's all just... Uh, doing some sort of physical uh, repetitive act, and then your mind can go into that more imaginative space, right? Uh, and somewhere, but I've just noticed that in all of these, that sort of same, it's just showing up and working and like getting into that flow. Um, so when you find yourself in this flow state, in this in the state of awareness, as you go deeper into your creative mind and you you're sort of meditating into this is your day structured where for an hour you're going to paint and then you're going to write in your journal or is it more of a spontaneous thing? Oh, I got to, I got to get the guitar out. It's time to put <laughs> lyrics to this song. Can you describe your sort of daily habits and process? Yeah. I, it's changed over the years. You know, it, it always, I've never been able to do the, same thing for a long time but uh you know i had about a year where i'd wake up every morning and yeah i'd write in the journal or draw or whatever for the first two hours like as soon as i woke up kind of start before you have your coffee just still kind of in dream state a little bit and try to siphon some of that down and then as you wake up more and then i would go right from that to yeah probably trying to 
take the guitar out or get on the piano and and try to start to put a song together or see what would happen there, you know. Um, but then at the same time, I've always, I've either been working a day job, so then that always comes in, you know. So it's where can you squeeze in some time? Um, and definitely spontaneity has probably been the average outcome of all my practice uh, over the years. So, yeah, I mean, it's like if you have some time, it's like, okay, how am I going to use that? What do I feel like doing right now? You know, do I want to pick up the paints or am I going to pick up the guitar? Are some friends over? So we're just going to start playing music together. And then from that, you know, you develop an idea. So it's kind of a feel thing for you. What what am I feeling? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I you know, I was never formally trained in any of this stuff, uh, particularly music. So it was always, let me, I feel like walking down this road. Okay, that didn't lead anywhere. I'm going to back up, go to that fork, and I'll see what's down that other way, you know. So it's the and constant. just one inform the other? Just, just, just some, could you be working on a painting which would then inspire a lyric or would inspire a melody? And it's sort of an import-export from one art form to the other? Or are they sort of isolated, creative exercises? I guess I feel two ways about it, you know, in like a more cosmic sense. I definitely think they influence each other. Uh, but I think in my mind, they're usually separated because it's a way to sort of get out of, you know, sometimes you get overwhelmed because you maybe hit a, a wall with the song, right? And you're getting frustrated because you don't know what the next lyric is. So then maybe you spend you know, some time painting or something and you just go to a totally different creative zone and way of using your, your mind and your body. Uh, you know, and I also write a lot of poetry and that's always been really funny because that also feels separate from writing songs in many ways. But I know that that obviously is informing each other because, you know, you're using language and trying to figure out, uh, you know, different word sounds that sound good together or ways of telling a story or painting a picture. But at the same time, what you did make me think of is I always think having at least two things going at once, like if you're working on painting, have two paintings going or three, because maybe uh, you can't figure out what the painting needs that you're working on. So then put that to the side, let it dry a little bit and start working on the other one. And all of a sudden you're going to discover something with the second painting that is going to fix whatever you got stuck on with the other. So it's that back and forth, right? So, And does that hold for your songwriting as well? You'd like to work on several songs at once? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's always a bunch going on or, or you know, fragments. and Because it's this constant sort of, uh, for me, shuffling around like refrigerator magnets but maybe in like sentences or verses or yeah, or just words, you know, and and that's also part of the journal practice is like you collect all these scraps and these fragments and you can keep trying them out in the different song uh, until eventually it finally, you know, finds the song that it wants to be in. So as a singer songwriter, everybody tries to label artists, so they can latch on to whether it's the kind of music that they're interested in. So your label, fair or unfair, is kind of 
a little bit of a synergy of rock and pop and folk and how would you just how would you describe your music how would you respond to a, a label like that uh i know it's kind of a cliche answer at this point but i do really have a hard time with the labels i mean that synergy that you talked about like that's a lot of what my influences are you know and i like deeply love the blues uh but i don't particularly play the blues at least not on my records you know i do at home but uh i saw this the hank williams quote uh someone was asking him about you know does he play country music or that he does play country country music and he just you know said i just play and write the songs the only way i know how to do it you know so I know that doesn't give an easy category, but that definitely resonated with me where those are my influences, but you know, the songs just come out with my limited ability of what I am able to do, you know? So let's talk about your influences. When you were growing up, uh, who were the artists that really inspired you to become a singer, songwriter, musician? Yeah. I mean, the big one was Bob Dylan, uh, was a huge influence and then I got really into sort of his family tree of like okay I really am responding to how this guy writes and plays so where did he get that from so then that led me back you know to all his influences like Ramblin Jack Elliott Woody Guthrie you know the old blue singers um so I was just deeply in love with folk music too. And then I found, you know, the Harry Smith anthology and in all those old Appalachian, like Roscoe Holcomb. Uh, yeah, I love Tank Williams a lot, you know. But then I always had this streak of rock and roll too that I loved. My my dad was a, a drummer in the 70s and like, you know, garage rock bands. And so I loved listening to The Who with him. Um. Yeah, and then a really big thing was once I just started playing music out, you know, meeting friends who who played music, and and I I ended up I went to Texas when I was seventeen, eighteen, and because um, I really wanted to find a songwriting community because I grew up in Connecticut and like really <laughs> I didn't wasn't finding much there, you know, as a teenage kid who was romanticizing the sixties in New York. Uh, but I, so I went up to Texas and I found this beautiful, uh, community of songwriters who I still go out and visit at least once a year. Um, so they've influenced me so much and I've co-written a lot with some of them, uh, Ron Scott and Johan Wagner. Um, so that's really when the influences, you know, I don't, it's just, it's kind of endless because now it's every year there's someone new that I fall in love with and you know, their conversation is in my head, the way they make their music or the choices they make, you know? Well, I'm curious because I have a son and he's a musician and he's uh, 22 years old and he loves bringing it all back home and some of the early Dylan. But when I ask him, have you listened to Murder Most Foul? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem relevant to him anymore. So my question to you is like Dylan's still around. The Who put out an album last year. 
Uh-huh. Are you sort of like, oh, I'll go to a certain era, but everything post, you know, blonde on blonde or who are you? I'm out. Or are you still listening to the same artists putting out new music now? Or is it a little bit more now your palette is is more the contemporary artists and the people that you're meeting in Texas and places like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I definitely, I keep checking in, you know, with those artists to see what they're still up to. Cause that is really inspiring. Like Neil Young was a really big influence too. And he always really inspired me in his willingness to continue to be curious and explore. You know what I mean? And I mean, how many years has he been doing that? You know, him, Dylan too, like constantly have been putting out records, like continue to write. And, you know, whether I like the record or not, if it, you know, jives for me or not, it's like, it's still, yeah, that's just empowering to see that you can continue to create and make things, especially people at that level, you know, talking about commercial success. I don't know if it's easy or not once all those cards are part of your table, but you know, just that they're able to continue to try things out and create, you know, but I definitely, I mean, I, I remember being 22 and uh, probably feeling similarly. It's like, no, I liked this era of Dylan. I'm not going to listen to anything after that, you know? And I was, I remember pissing my brother off actually when I was a teenager. Cause I was like at that point, hyper-focused on folk music and this like, the you know late 1800s to maybe 19 like 40 and that's like all i want to listen to and i i couldn't i like could no longer understand like modern music you know so i always remember that bothering him that i couldn't really like get into modest mouse or like whatever the stuff he was listening to at that time but i kind of progressively did you know 10 years uh you know, up to the 40s, up to the 50s, 60s, and now I've finally just opened up to loving any kind of music at this point. Stay with us. When we return, Jake talks about some of the efforts he has made around sustainability. Hi, I'm Betsy. And I'm Harrison. We're the co-founders of Sustain Music and Nature. Sustain is a nonprofit that makes music a force for nature. By tapping into the emotional power of music and cultural sway of artists, we engage new audiences with their environment. Check out Sustain Music and Nature on social media to see our public land music videos and learn about upcoming concerts in the great outdoors. Jake Clark makes art, and he makes music, but he also focuses on the environment, and has made minor changes to get big results. The idea of like, yes, like we can, even if it's small, we can start making these direct changes uh, in the music industry that we're participating in. So, you know, like having on your rider, you know, don't get us the big crate of plastic water bottles 
you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll either be bringing our own like reusable water bottles or, you know, just get us a, a glass of water and we can refill that, you know? So something simple like that or simple, like, uh, I stopped, you know, throwing away my used guitar strings. And so now I've just like <laughs> continually, especially when you're touring and playing a lot of music, get this huge box full of old strings. But then Harrison and Betsy have, you know, artists who reuse those to, uh, you know, make works of art and or, or um, organizations that uh, actually like string them back out so they can be reused and send them to, you know, people who don't have access or enough money to get new strings for their guitar. Um, and I hadn't gotten there yet, but, you know, with the touring, there was offsetting your carbon footprint you know, you could, you could say how, you know, X amount of miles that you toured that year and, um, you know, pay a little bit to offset the, the carbon emission. So yeah, those are a few things that I, I had been doing. So you mentioned sustain and this podcast is produced by sustain and it's called songscape. So you're part of the family and you mm -hmm. actually did a songscapes video, um, where you use tally man. If I'm correct. Yep. And um, you were in the Green Mountain Forest. Did you uh, write that song? Did you write that song during your experience there? Or so can you just describe how you connected with nature to not just produce that video, but to make that music? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Harrison and Betsy, um, it was pretty early on, I think, when they had started sustain and so this was the second songscape they'd done uh which was i guess they had gone and they'd talked to great mountain forest uh which was in northwest connecticut um like six thousand plus acres of conserved working forest um so i think harrison betsy had talked to them and showed them the roster of artists they had, and they liked my music. Um, so we set up, uh, they put me up in a, a cabin that was actually built by the child's family who back in, I think it was like 1909, they had bought, uh, I think 400 acres around that, the cabin was right on a pond, Toby Pond. And they'd bought 400 acres around Toby Pond. Because um, at that time, that whole area of Connecticut was just clear cut from um, the coal industry. They were making coal for iron ore smelting plants. And I think they were also the hemlocks they were using to, for a tan bark for all the tanneries in the area, too. So that whole area is decimated in the child's family um, and another guy, Wolcott, Frederick Wolcott, I think, uh, bought that initial 400 acres. So I was staying in that cabin of the family right on the edge of that pond. Uh, yeah, so the canoe in the video was there. So I'd go on that every morning. Um, uh, yeah, so the deal was that they had me there for four days. And in that time, uh, I just was required to write one song based on my experience 
And I, I remember being really blown away by, I mean, the generosity of uh, the director at the time, Hans Carlson, because I spent a lot of time <laughs> badgering him with questions or having me uh, him explain to me the history of it. And so we'd go on hikes together, you know, and he'd be talking about, like, we'd see, like, where the, this mound of the colliers who were making the coal. I remember looking at that, and that was ended up being a big part of the song. Um, or I'd hang out with the forestry department, uh, Jody, and I think they had three in, interns there at the time. So I'd hang out and, yeah, like one day was just sort of a fly on the post and was watching them, uh, you know, mill down lumber and make some sod boards. Um, so a lot of it was like really journalistic, which I remember being, that was what became exciting to me. I mean, definitely soaking in the land and I love just going on hikes and hanging around, you know, the ponds all over that is really beautiful forest uh but then a lot of it was really just talking like with Jody who he'd been doing the management of the working forest for like 40 years and his dad had worked that land before him and his dad before him had worked that land so that was really this idea of stewardship uh really came up um and hans carlson the director he's a political ecologist and he was working on an essay uh you know and i asked like oh would could you like could i read it you know so he printed me out it's probably like 10 or so pages and so i spent like an afternoon reading that and that was all about uh yeah this idea of land stewardship and he I think he called it a tale of two forests. I don't know if he ended up publishing it or not or what it's called now, but uh, he was connecting his, his experience of, of being part of the stewardship of Great Mountain Forest. Uh, but then he also has uh, friends up in the James Bay area, up in uh, northern Canada, north of Quebec City. Uh, and the Cree tribe up there, you know, they have this long history of land stewardship, uh, or I think it translates for them more into like guardianship. Um, and so he was tracing cause in the past 40 years up there is where our logging industry has gone. Right. So their whole forest that they've lived on since I think the Cree came over there. Like right at I think the Robbie, end of the Ice Age. I think Robbie Robertson is uh, might be part of that tribe. Oh, really? The Cree and 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 like yourself, inspired a lot by the land because I know with you, music and nature have been linked from even a young age. I mean, from what I understand, when you were seventeen years old and just starting out, you were spending some time at Big Bend and really seems that music and i know you're very fond of big ben it really seems like music has served as an our nature i should say has served as a muse for a lot of your for your music oh yeah for sure yeah i mean i, I grew up uh, in northwest connecticut and 
close to my childhood, you know, we were at one of the few houses on the street and all behind us was just forest. And that's where I would, my brother and I would spend hours out there. You know, that's like, so whenever, just being in nature really does feel uh, like a home, you know, it feels like a, a comfortable place to be. Yeah, when I'm in like a major city, it's fun and exciting, but it's like not, that's not my environment, you know, it's uh, too hectic or too many strange sounds compared to the kind of sounds that you get, yeah, in the desert or, or in a forest, you know. Well, and just looking back at some of your work, Crescent um, Street Blues was influenced by the American landscape, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was up in... Uh, Far Harbor at uh, Acadia National. Is that a national park? I think so. And then yep. in 2017, you release you release Wild Wildflower uh, Wildflower Becomes a Paradise, and that was sort of the output of the journals that you were keeping when you were kind of on a Greyhound bus going all over the place. Again, looking out the window and and writing about what you see, I assume, in nature and, and the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's always been a huge muse. You're good. You're insightful. So now you're, you're connecting this stuff for me, actually. Like, <laughs> I hadn't even I think you, you did it. I'm just reflecting <laughs> back on the work that you did. But now, even with Masquerade, which, as I said, is, is beautiful, there just seems to be kind of an outdoors theme a real connection to nature. And I know you've talked about the fact that, that uh, part of that is kind of um, sort of the, the, the thought process between friendship and solace in the middle of all these global struggles that we're having. But it really does seem that you find your peace and your art in, in the environment. Yeah. In the environment and, and, and certainly with people, you know, and friendship or because or, that's always a well, and they're inseparable, too. Right. And that's part of that. Like like Hans talking about their stewardship is like you have to take care of the land. You know, for the land to take care of you and for the people to to be able to, like, remain here and exist and be healthy. You know, if the earth isn't healthy, we're not going to be healthy. Um, yeah, and like, you know, that the until the wildfire, that was this mix of, yeah, I would stay out in the country somewhere, but then I would end up in a city and be seeing friends or, or meeting people, strangers, and, and getting to know them. And that's a huge influence, too. I mean, hearing people's stories and, you know, but then, yeah, inevitably I have to go crawl away into some nature to let all that stuff sink in and, 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 and come through into a song. You know, I need that solitude. And what's interesting about your work to me is that you have that artist internal conflict struggle. Should I release this? Should I not release this? Um, and how and when are things right? And being a self-critic, as all artists do, when to editorialize, when to be spontaneous, and it does seem that you get a lot of respite from that activity in your brain from what you're externalizing, if that makes sense. Uh, 
that, that you're able to take in that you're able to take in that energy and mm-hmm. sort of turn it into creativity, which kind of perhaps silences some of that internal critic that that we all deal with. Yeah, definitely. Although that cr- critic can be a real nag sometimes, really can't get them off your back. <laughs> Talk about that critic. Do you do you find that critic? Is that all helpful or he's just one giant pain in the ass? Uh, no, I'm, there's a degree of it that I think it's helpful, uh, you know, or some degree of criticism or, you know, self-critique is important and is part of the practice because you have to constantly, you know, have this barometer of like, okay, yeah, is that the right wording for this? Does that like feel good when you sing it? Are those the right, the notes or the right chords here? So there is this constant back and forth of, of you're making constant decisions. You know, so much of art making is just about making decisions. Uh, but more often than not, I pers- I, you know, personally, it's been hard and it, it just puts up walls and, and can really, if you let it do that, if you, if you let it take over, can really, uh, ruin your connection to imagination or, or really like doing something really tapping into the beauty of it or something that really you know moves is real is genuine and i've seen it you know so everyone struggles with it you know and especially artists i've seen so many friends really struggle with it but yeah i mean just it comes down to trusting yourself and and even if you just work on something 10 minutes a day you know, eventually you're going to have a record written, you know, or a song done. So as we get ready to end, I want to go back to where we started, which is you have a lot of different art forms and you work somewhat spontaneously, but with the discipline of doing something every day and sort of starting out with the journal as a template. Do you feel that the different art forms allow you to have different types of outlets are, and are those outlets unique to each other? Like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe your anger is better sort of vented through, uh, painting, whereas your inspiration or poetry are better as an outlet through your songwriting. Again, Mm -hmm. your words, not mine, but I'm just curious how those different art forms act as a cathartic tool when your brain is busy, just a nonstop loop of uh, criticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I'd maybe flip what you said and actually anger music does a much better uh, dealing with it. Just, you know, rather than yelling, you just sing really loud, you know, and that's the same as like getting out the, the yells in your head, you know, but I think, you know, I think for me, they, they all have their place and they, they can all really, uh, function in a similar way. So if, you know, if you have some complex or tired of playing music or it's not hitting the spot, then I'm like, okay, well, I know I have, maybe I feel like painting, like maybe that'll do it. Or maybe, you know, drawing or, or, or working on some letterpress projects, you know, to sort of, yeah, there it's little ways of traveling, you know, inside yourself and in the things you do. It's like you need 
distance from them, you know, to come back and really see them in a fresh way and, and, and to be inspired again. Do you miss touring and playing in front of people? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been, yeah. I mean, you just get to meet so many cool people, so many strange experiences you counter when you're playing shows or on the road. So I definitely miss that, you know? Uh, but I, I do for me again, it like actually hit at a good time. I needed to take a break and have some distance from all. So, uh, but yeah, I was daydreaming about being on tour <laughs> the other week. So it's starting to well, creep its way back hopefully in. Hopefully it won't be long. So Jake, I, I, I know you got to get ready for a big car ride to Georgia. So I, I want to ask you two questions before you go. So the first question uh, we ask all our guests, which is, is there one song that stands out for you that is kind of the embodiment of your positive connection to nature? Hmm. Not necessarily your song, but just one of those songs where you're just like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the, the planet when I hear this song. I think just about any bird singing you know, together whenever you hear that, whether it's, you know, in the morning, at night, in the afternoon, that always, that really connects me and grounds me. And, you know, that's a song I'll never be able to sing like, so I can just enjoy it from afar, like jazz. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. So here's my last question. What's on the soundtrack for the long ride from Western Massachusetts to Georgia? What are you listening to? (laughs) Oh, uh, I've been really enjoying this uh, artist, Daniel Norgren. I don't know if you've heard him, but I'm sure we'll be putting on some of those records. Uh, that'll probably be where we'll start. Maybe we'll put on some Booker T after that. Singer, songwriter, and artist, Jay Clark. For more go to his website, jclar.com, and check out his new EP, Masquerade, on all streaming services. I'm Charles Coplin, and this is Songscapes, brought to you by Sustain Music and Nature. Find us on sustainmusicandnature.org.